Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for those pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Jason Vickers. Jason is professor of theology at Asbury Seminary and a dear old friend of mine. We've uh, known each other and worked together in various ways and places uh, over the years. We've known each other a long time, but it's first time for him to be on the show. So I'm really excited to have him on. And our text this week is Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. Exodus 16 verses 2 through 15. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass the show on so that others may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Jason. So, um, our usual routine is to just, uh, have one of us read it and someone else say a word of prayer. You got a version out you want to read of your own choice? I can pull up the, uh, NRSV right here. Go for it. Go for it. We're starting in verse two, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaint of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. 
Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your daily bread that you grant to us, for the way that you provided for your people Israel in the wilderness, and for the um, bread that is your written word that has been handed on and nourished your people throughout the centuries and millennia. And most of all, we give you thanks for the true bread of heaven that is your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we ask in his name now that we would be guided by your Spirit in our conversation today, that we may see and hear and thereby hand on to those listening in what it is that you wish us to hear and see and say. So we ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for uh, being on, Jason, and uh, digging in with me. Uh, yeah, our, our usual pattern is uh, our first segment is after reading it, we just make some observations. So all kinds of people listen in, pastors that are prepping sermons, uh, all kinds of folks that are just uh, doing it for their own edification and enjoyment. So yeah. um, you don't have to think about any particular audience. Just what do you do with the text? You know, that we get variety through different guests, you know? So what are some initial observations? What are you noticing in the text today as we read it afresh? Well, you know, and you know this, when you first told me about this text, my, my initial reaction, you know, was, oh man, you know, I, I, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted the chapter before this one, because it, that's where the good stuff is. That's the, you know, the song of Moses, the song of the sea that talks about, you know, the Lord being majestic in holiness. It's like verse 11 in chapter 15. It's one of my favorite texts. in scripture. Mm. So my first thing was I was a little disappointed. And then I kind of looked at 16 and the first thing that jumped off the page was, you know, a bunch of complaining, right? There's this, sure. this on complaining, you know, and then I start thinking about it a little bit and, and it turns into a bit of a, of a, of kind of a fun text and one that's, that can hit a little close to home, Right. You know, here you have, you know, you, you've just had this song in 15 that celebrates uh, what God has done for the Israelites, delivering them from Egypt, you know, through the sea. And then, you know, you, you turn the page and they're complaining. And not only are they complaining, but ultimately they want to go back to Egypt, right? Mm. <laughs> they said, we, we'd be better off in Egypt. And that for me, just these are sort of my very first thoughts. It, it kind of made me think of two other texts where there's this instinct to go back to some place. So I thought uh, of Elijah and, you know, and after this great event, right, with the prophets of Baal, yeah. Jezebel threatens and, and, and the next page he's wanting to, he's going back to, to Sinai, right? He's going back to the Holy mountain, you know, uh, he's, he's afraid. And then for some reason, I, I then thought about, you know, kind of Hebrews in the new Testament and this, you know, there's apparently, you know, a group of, of people that, you know, having, professed faith in the Messiah are, 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 and embraced Christianity are wanting to go back to Judaism. 
Mm. Right. So there's this kind of theme of, you know, God does something, you know, really amazing. Um, the delivers the people, um, for whether it's from Egypt or from the prophets of Baal or, you know, and, and then ultimately in Christ's work uh, on the cross. And then, you know, five minutes later, uh, we're not happy and we're wanting to go back to some previous place. That, that's sort of what, that was my initial thoughts, you know? Yeah, that, that's a really powerful pattern. It makes me wonder. Yeah. It'd be a fun project actually to trace that theme throughout the scriptures um not always bad sometimes it's wanting to go back in a good way after Mm -hmm. exile for instance but even there there can be temptation oh we're just going back to the way things were as opposed to moving forward even the disciples at the beginning of the book of acts when they say after the resurrection you know now are you going to restore the kingdom to israel you know Mm -hmm. and there's somewhat of a backward looking focus there, like restoring something that was rather than the ushering in of something brand new. Oh man, that's a really cool theme. I I couldn't help but notice it, it stands out to me so much because I, I almost never, I almost feel, I feel like I never saw this or heard it growing up with this text. I knew about murmuring, grumbling, yeah. maybe because that's something that children do. And so we get, called out for it that we're behaving like the children of Israel in this chapter and the bread of heaven and the manna. And I even remember quail references to quail and and the pattern, but there's even, it happened to me. It's not the first, this is not the first time I've made this mistake. It happened to me again today in verse six and seven, when you were reading, it goes, so Moses and Aaron said to all the people at evening, you shall know it was Adonai who brought you out of the land of Egypt And in the morning, you shall see the glory of Adonai because he has heard your grumbling. And this reference to at evening, you will know. And in the morning, you shall see, right? The knowing and seeing of the Lord. And my mind immediately, and this I'll I'll confess, there's just an element of modern rationalism built in here that just is built into my defaults, my default settings as it was for a lot of us. Oh, oh, I immediately thought, oh, okay, so the quail comes in the evening, manna is going to come in the morning, and by the quail and the manna, they will then see the Lord and they'll know that the Lord brought and they'll see the glory of the Lord, meaning they will draw the conclusion that God is glorious because of the provision, right? It's a kind of indirect presence, but that's not what verse 10 says, right? Because when we get to 10, as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation, of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, a detail I did not notice till today, mm-hmm. looking, so that means not back now, this connects with your theme, not mm-hmm. back towards Egypt, which would be on the other side of the sea, yeah. but forward towards the wilderness, or not back to the west, but forward to the east, uh, yeah. into the wilderness, and behold, they even have that extra little word there, you know, yeah. and behold, the glory of Adonai appeared in the cloud. So they've already had the pillar of cloud, but now the glory is somehow visible in it. So there's a little theophany right here in the middle of the manna story that I got to be honest. I never knew there was a theophany in the manna story growing up. I just thought it was, Oh, we trust Moses. Yeah. He told us there's going to be manna. The manna comes. Therefore we draw the conclusion that God is glorious. It's like, no, no, no. He, he shows himself. He doesn't just provide. He also 
reveals or manifests or appears. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that's important yet, but that was just an observation that, that grabbed me today like in a way that I missed so often. No, I really like that. And I do think I mean, one, one way to play with it a bit and is, is to perhaps the, the, the glory of the Lord is, is in front of you, right? It's, it's always going before you. It's, oh. it's up ahead, right? It's not behind you. Uh, in some past place or time, you know, and I think that's, there's, there's some real power in that, you know, if, you know, for us today as Christians, local congregations, I'm thinking about people that might be preaching this text, you know, that, that uh, it's, it's always tempting to, to look backwards and to, you know, privilege some particular place or time uh, in our collective journey where the glory of the Lord was was apparent, right? But in this text, the glory of the Lord is is uh, is in front of them. It's, uh, it's in their future. Yeah, man. Well, that's already stirring up, you know, sermonic possibilities, but I won't jump the gun too quickly on that. But that's, yeah. that's, that's very, very exciting. Let's take a quick break and come back and dig in a little deeper. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Jason Vickers, an old friend of mine, but a new friend of the show. And we're looking at Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. Now, this is going to drop in September sometime. I don't remember the exact date. But uh, yeah, we're just looking at this passage, made some observations. Let's continue talking, getting into the interpretive questions. What are some what are some questions or matters of debate? You mentioned one on the break. Maybe you want to start there. Maybe there's a different one you want to start with. But Yeah, well, when, when you pointed out, when you highlighted the, the glory, uh, the glory of the Lord, you know, the, the theophany here, it, it, you know, the first question that, that came to mind was, is this really a provision story? You know, that's the, the easy way to read it on the surface, that it's about God providing the manna, uh, food and nourishment in the wilderness. And and that's clearly a big part of the story. But is there more to it than just provision? And then I thought, you know, but maybe it's a provision story in two senses. Perhaps it's the provision of the manna but also uh, the provision of God's glory. And maybe that's the more important provision. Oh, that's, that's good. And I wonder, I mean, I don't want to overdo it, but I wonder if the language of provision and revelation, I'll just say for now, Mm -hmm. uh, or I mean, two kinds of provision is what you're, is the genius of what you're suggesting. But if even provision and revelation have a way of kind of being oriented they map on a bit to what we were talking about earlier about backwards and forwards. I mean, in some sense, it's okay. You want to go back to having food, meat and bread. So I'm going to provide for you what you know, your, your immediate presenting conscious need. But at the same time, I'm going to draw you forward, you know, into something beyond just the immediate presenting need, right? Which is the, your recognition of me and my glory, which always has this kind of forward movement, like you were mentioning, even it's out in the wilderness, directing them forward to what's coming next, you know? Yeah. And we, when we even think of the language, like when we talk about God as provider or the doctrine of providence, we usually associate with 
the doctrine of creation, right? It's, it's God maintaining what already is. Whereas when we talk about revelation, it's not an, it's not an, it's not a mistake that that's the last book in the Bible or glory. We associate with that as the final state, the glorified state, right? These are more, for lack of a better term, eschatological terms. They push us forward. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm overdoing it, but hey, you know, we got two, uh, two systematic theologians doing a pod together. What's, what do you expect? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? no, I like this. And, uh, the, 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 that word toward you know, that they look toward right um, it it sort of I, I do like the attentiveness to that detail that they have to uh, in order to see it they have to to look in a new direction you know uh, toward the wilderness and that's that calls to mind the text uh, in the gospels you know that's the the text where the women you know they have to turn. And, and it notes that they turn, you know, I think twice or, you know, to in order to see Jesus, the resurrection text, right? Um, that, that they, in order to see them, they have to turn and, and they have to look in a new direction in a sense. And that's a, there's a little bit of that going on here with this looking, they have to look toward the wilderness. And of course, then we could think about, you know, what all does the wilderness signify, right, uh, in, in the Old Testament? And maybe uh, what do you know, what are our associations with with the wilderness? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even bringing that up with the wilderness and what it associates, looking toward looking towards something new. The this text is full of foreshadowing and anticipation. Mm-hmm. So. For us as readers, we think of the Sabbath as established from the beginning of time, which is true from God's perspective. But this, and, and there's some reference to Sabbath connected to the, um, there's some Sabbath language in order to explain the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So there's some references. This isn't the first reference to Sabbath in the Exodus, I don't believe. But nevertheless, the way that the manna is structured, Mm-hmm. according to the double portion on the sixth day mm-hmm. is this it's so important this is a kind of broader perspective within the book of exodus i mean this is chapter 16 that's important to remember the 10 commandments don't come till exodus 20 mm-hmm. right so so the 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 commandment the sabbath commandment proper has not yet been put forth which is itself explicitly in exodus 20 explicitly linked to their background as slaves explicitly referenced to saying, you know, you once were burdened with uh, slavery every day, right? And Mm -hmm. God is not just bringing you out here to enslave you to him, but no, you are going to have a cycle of rest. And it's almost as if in a weird way, the provision is preparing them, again, thinking theologically. It's not just like there's the law and then the gospel comes in later. There's already some gospel promise. They've already experienced Sabbath and God's provision of, you know, that there will be enough because uh, it's our fear of not having enough that gets us to work overwork ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. um, that God's already providing that a little bit before the yoke of Sabbath practice is placed on them. They've already experienced the gift of Sabbath before the mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. command or law of Sabbath. I don't know. I'm just talking now, but no, no, no. But it does. It, but it does bring to mind the verse where where it says, you know, that the Lord wants to know if they will follow His instruction. So there is this 
sense of, you know, embedded in this, the introduction of Sabbath practice into their lives uh, that accompanies the giving of the manna, uh, the sense of it being a test uh, of, of a sort, you know, to see, will they be obedient? Will they, will they follow instruction? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. The testing, the looking towards the wilderness, thinking of what all the foreshadowing that's here. Mm-hmm. Oh my, mm-hmm. what a text. Yeah. Really so this, good. this is random. I, another sort of taking a different direction for a moment. Two little random observations. Verse nine, come near before Adonai, for he has heard your grumbling. Mm -hmm. And it's reminding me of the whole action of Exodus starts with God hearing Mm -hmm. their cries of distress back in chapter one, chapter two. So I mean, you could take that heard your grumbling in verse nine in two ways. You could hear it as God, God overheard you guys being jerks and complaining and he's going to set you straight. That's the kind of judgment side. But the grace side of it is he's heard your grumbling and he's going to, he's going to address the problem. Mm -hmm. But you're right. There is a little bit of a test built in whether they will walk in my law or not. But he hasn't given the law yet. (laughs) That's brilliant. I never even saw it that way. That's yeah. It's like an early, like a pretest. <laughs> yeah, well, it's almost preparing. Yeah. Are, are they are they capable of listening to a simple, straightforward instruction? That's right. Can can you manage to just do this one thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Before we give you the ten, and yeah. then the six hundred and three. You know, like like yeah, he's going to lay it all on later. But he's <laughs> it's you see the 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 early church fathers that you and I love to read would see in this, uh, God's a good teacher. They're always talking about the divine pedagogy, right? That God's slowly unveiling the way of life, not dumping it all on them in a, in a, in a flash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think that to, to circle back for a second to the complaining, grumbling aspect that, and God responding to that, that also makes me think of patristic text and, and material, specifically uh, Nissa's address on religious instruction, when he says that the one thing that really befits God is to come to the aid of those in need. That is what's most befitting. The term there is theoprepes. Most befitting of God is to come to the aid of those in need. Now he's talking about the the scandal of the cross and whatnot and, and whether or not God can suffer and so on. So that's the those are some of the bigger questions there. But it really fits this text too in a way that that you know what we see here is that that God is responsive to human grumbling, groaning, complaining, hunger, plight. I, I think that's uh, something that, that it, there's a bit of a foreshadowing there as well, right? The, that that we're all here already. We learn God's true nature, which will then be even more on display in the cross. Wow, that's that's really good. So that's a, I mean, just to our listeners to say like, hey, that's a great quote to jot down, whether for a sermon on this text or just about a whole range of great texts. That's a great quote. So is that in the 
That's not the great catechism, right? What's that in? What's the text? The address on religious instruction. Yeah. Man, I don't know that text. I need to go read that text. What's yeah, wrong with the, me? You can find it in the, in the hardy edited Christology of the later fathers. Yeah, I have that. Okay. Well, that means I have read it and I just forgot it. Man, that was a long time ago. That was 20 years ago when I last probably read that pa- that particular passage. Sorry, geek out moment. <laughs> 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 That's what it's all about, but... Uh, sometimes, you know, I'll have like the Bible scholars on here and we'll just geek out on the Hebrew and the Greek. And when I have, you know, uh, historians <laughs> and theologians on, we tend to geek out on the more the history of interpretation and themes right. like that. And, yeah. um, and the, when I have the homileticians and preachers on, then we some, often will geek out on, on good, good preaching practice and good, good preparation and stuff like that, you know? So yeah. it's all, it all, it all works out. There's no, uh, rigid, uh, boundaries on what the, what we can do on the, on the podcast. But <laughs> well, any last, uh, uh, thoughts, uh, sort of interpretive or exegetical observations, questions, issues that we want to highlight before we, uh, turn to exploring some sermon directions. No, I mean, I think we've really hit on most of the major themes here. The big themes, I mean, and, and it is a rich, it's a much richer text than I first thought you know, once I started working with it a bit, uh, you've got themes of provision and providence and revelation, the, the divine nature, God's true nature, divine responsiveness. There's a lot here, right? Uh, these are big themes. There, there's more than just sort of simple, you know, uh, provision in, in a simple sense, right? It's uh, much more profound than that. And, and I do think there's a a great deal of anticipation of what's ahead in Exodus and, and even, you know, beyond that, right. What's ahead in the, in the way of Christ, which is, you know, a move that, that some old Testament scholars wouldn't like, but uh, as a Christian theologian, I, I get to make it. Yeah. Well, have at it. (laughs) Yeah. We, we switched to the OT reading this year and we've had a number of, uh, I've had some good conversations with various guests on the you know the pros and cons of and and more or less pros and cons and more just how to appropriately appropriate these texts uh in in their christian framing um and how to do that well in a way that still respects the text and i think it's fun to occasionally just say yeah i'm just going to do it without explanation <laughs> it's like duh <laughs> why not <laughs> <laughs> One last observation that we didn't camp out on, we don't have to camp anymore on it, but just at the end of verse eight, this interesting little passing, it's even a little awkward in the, just the grammar of the sentence, you know, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord himself. Right. And that kind of that highlighting of, and I feel like the appearing of the glory is also performing in a, a sort of as it were, a kind of political function. I'm using that in the broadest sense of the, a theopolitical mm-hmm. function of kind of indicating it's both kind of authorizing Moses and Aaron. Like you guys maybe don't get on these guys' case. They're, they're taking commands from God himself, but also putting them in their place to kind of say, you've got a beef with them. You actually have a beef with me, you know, right. don't mess. So, I mean, again, I, I don't want to emphasize the threat too much because the threat is, I think more, that's in the background. The foreground is the provision, not the threat. But glory of the Lord. Glory always has that double side to it. It's always kind of good news with a little bit of fear and trembling, though, right? That's right. Yeah. 
And one more thing, just that, and we we did hover around this a bit, but I, I think you probably could develop it more. Maybe this will just segue into the preaching stuff, right? Uh, the this bit about looking toward the wilderness mm-hmm. and seeing the glory of the Lord there appearing there. Something else that, that just and this is a bit of a preachy moment in a way, I suppose. That, that comes to mind for me when I think about that is, you know, when you, they've just, they're on the edge of the wilderness. So they're, they're located, you know, where are the people, right? Well, if you take that phrasing seriously, they're not in the wilderness per se, because they yeah. have to look toward the wilderness. They're on yes. the edge. Of it. The wilderness is still out in front of them. And who is already there, Right. That there is a sort of the Lord goes before them here that, you know, that may be kind of obvious, but uh, the, the, the sort of preachy application piece I'm thinking here is, you know, that, that whatever wilderness is in front of us, uh, God is already there waiting on us. Your God goes, you know, our God is one who goes ahead of us. Um, maybe that's a little too spatial, but. I, you know, that's, that's something that comes to mind with this. With no, the, I think this, the spatiality is important. I mean, it, for whatever reason, the, the lectionary in its wisdom and or folly has left off verse one, but maybe it's worth noting and right. actually start from verse 27. So then they came to Elim where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they camped there by the water. So this would be the, you know, a nice spot within a, I mean, as it were, there's wilderness and then there's wilderness, right? There's, there's the, yeah. not all wildernesses are equally wild, right? Right. So then the next verse, they set out from Elim. So they're leaving from the palm trees in the water there. Mm-hmm. And all the congregation of the people came to the wilderness of Sin. Okay. So now they are in a wilderness, but it's not yet the, the wilderness. Oh, right. They'll be in on the other side of the Sinai, right? This isn't right. as radical. Yeah. Um, which is between Elim and Sinai, right? So they're not yet to Sinai, right? right? So they're between Elim, which is this place of wetness that's not that far from the Red Sea crossing, on their way to Sinai, which again is another foreshadowing, right? Moving us forward. So that means if they're looking out toward the wilderness, that could just mean, when you're talking spatially, that could mean looking outside the camp. Yes, um, but we know later from passages in Numbers and and I think a few even in Exodus that the that the cloud that they see the glory the kabod kabod Adonai mm-hmm. the glory of the Lord appears in the cloud that pillar of cloud would move out of the camp and that's when they would know when to move. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of their little divine GPS system, mm-hmm. and so if the cloud is out in the wilderness to look at, that means it's on the edge of the camp. Mm-hmm. out in the wilderness, moving them forward. So wilderness could simply mean outside the camp, but it probably means in the world, they're going deeper into the wilderness, mm-hmm. which is totally what's happening throughout the, the, the whole Torah story is one of it. What you think is going to be a passing through the wilderness becomes a going deeper and deeper into the wilderness. I, I think that's an important observation that you brought in there. I just thought I'd throw out the actual names of the places that were left out for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. Sound good? All right.
All right, we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Uh, we're looking at Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. I'm here with my guest, Jason Vickers. Let's take a few minutes and explore some sermon starters. If you were going to be preaching this text coming up, uh, what would be your focus, uh, your your kind of your take, your angle, your theme, however you, I mean, not everybody prepares the same way, but uh, what, what would be the take that you'd take on this uh, text? Well, I mean, I think one of the first things I would think about is that that we're, you know, we, we live in a time of much complaining uh, within and without the church, right? That, that I mean, I, if I'm thinking about ways to sync up the text with the present, you know, whatever else we're good at these days, you know, we're, we're really good at complaining, uh, complaining about our politicians, complaining about you know, COVID-19, complaining about, you know, police, complaining about all kinds of things. And some of the, much of the complaining, of course, is, is, uh, is justified or justifiable. So that's not really the, the question. It's just that if anything, we, we kind of live in a, in a very mm, grum, in a kind of continuously grumbling mode, uh, it seems. And so I would want to pick up on that and find a way to connect that piece a bit um, and then I think the um, the generosity, the goodness, uh, the the fact that nothing escapes God's notice, uh, God's hearing, uh, that you sort of and, and the provision angle is ultimately going to to be big here, uh, and and I'm probably going to be inclined to both assure my audience of. That, that God provides for our most basic needs. Um, that that's something that is, and that we don't need to be worried about that. And you can, um, you know, think of texts where Jesus counsels against being worried about, you know, tomorrow, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and that that's not unimportant, but that ultimately uh, it's God's own presence that that's the the, the really great provision here. Uh, and will be the most important provision for Israel going forward. And the same is true for us. Uh, so those are some of the, and those are just in a sense reiterating the things, but I do think that, that the thing that connects here most immediately for me is just that, you know, when I get on social media, nine out of 10 posts are complaining about something. So that's where I probably want to dig in. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not irrelevant that just, I mean, all the studies have shown this, that, at least in terms of social media, but there's other ways to approach it. But that's a good starting point in our own time where, I mean, it is just the case that when there was a turn towards optimization for engagement, mm. things got more toxic. This has been proven. I've read enough stuff to show mm. it. And it, so it's, this, is, this is orchestrated by logarithms. Mm-hmm. It's not that there was like a direct, like a bunch of people in Silicon Valley are like, we want people to be more mad. No, it was that they wanted people more to engage. Right. And then they just let the logarithm run. And it turns out what we would should have known is that <laughs> what could have been predicted on the basis of human nature is that, that you're just more gonna, you engage more with that, which triggers anger, frustration, right? That, that cre- and in, in group, out group, good guys, bad guys, that's what generates engagement. Mm-hmm. which means people who are feeding off that engage more and other people just start checking out. So it's not like everybody's complaining. That's always a tricky thing for me. Whenever I even preach, when I talk about a thing like a social media is like, 
I don't want to let people off the hook in the room who are not participating in the murmuring, mm-hmm. which I am not. That's you've seen me on social media. That's not how I roll. Right. Uh, but I'm still a murmurer. I am a grumbler. I just keep it off. I just, I was taught to not grumble in public, <laughs> but I do it with my friends and I do it with you in private. Yeah. So I want to make sure that, that if I preach a sermon that, that I don't use, I, I, for one, often kind of check out when people kind of do too much social media referencing yeah. in a problematic way, because I think I let myself off the hook. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm not one of those people mm-hmm. who's always picking a fight and, so it, it, I want to make sure to like name that, but then also think, you know, it's like what a, you know, really good preachers do this. I just heard a sermon this Sunday where it was like, mm-hmm. they have a way of like narrating three or four different ways that this, that this can take shape so mm-hmm. that no one's left off the hook as it were. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I did want to come back for a second and pick up that theme we started out with, because I think it has potential to connect too. Uh, with the present moment, especially, you know, I'm assuming that a lot of the audience for this podcast is American. Um, but, um, but I'm assuming, you know, but I also assume that they would find similar themes in other parts of the world. But, you know, this theme of look of wanting to go back. Yeah. You know, that when, when things get bad, when we're not happy with the way things are going, you know, we want to go back uh, to some previous place. Yeah. Or set of circumstances. And, you know, you can see this in a million ways uh, in our culture. Um, and you, so you think about, you know, uh, Donald Trump's entire, you know, kind of campaign messaging from his first campaign. And he's kept it up, right, is make America great again, you know, which is a is sort of a dangling of, of some past, right? Some yeah. place or moment in the past when we were great and we need to go back there and be like that again, right? And even now, you know, as the national campaign shapes up, um, I'm seeing phrasing like, you know, a return to decency. Yes. Um, you know, yep. Biden's so, doing it too in his own way. Yep. That's right. Biden's yep. got his version of this. Um, and so we-, we Oh, you're right. That's a good insight. This, right? And I think we can, there can, so there can be ways in which we, we sort of see, th- th- this is, as you said a moment ago, I mean, what we're really looking at here is is human nature, you know, whether it's the Israelites, you know, in the wilderness or us today, there, there are things that, that we do, um, and we're not so very different, right, in our tendency when whenever we're unhappy, we want to go back to some moment where we were happy or some place where we were happy. Right. And when maybe God's out in the future, right? And God's yeah. out ahead of us. And it's in some some new place, some unknown place that we've not yet been, that a greater happiness awaits. I mean, that would be a way to play with it. Yeah, and back to your great quote from Nissa, mm-hmm. it is most fitting of God to come to the aid of those in need. Mm-hmm. And there's the two and then what's interesting is expositing the need, right? And the need is always, for someone like Nissa, and I believe this too, the need is always both restoration, but also culmination, something above and beyond what was there in the good old days, right? And you see that double function here, right? The manna that gives them what they lost Mm -hmm. and the glory of the Lord, which gives them something they've never even known. They didn't even know they needed it. 
mm-hmm. but it's the re- it's the thing they need more. In fact, mm-hmm. is the guiding glory of the Lord. I got to admit, I mean, I uh, listeners to this podcast and anyone who's suffered through a sermon of mine knows that I. <laughs> I'm a I'm a hook preacher. I want to have a single line. Sometimes you from this text itself, and to me from our conversation today, my hook is they looked toward the wilderness, or um, or as a as an invitation imperative, look toward the wilderness. I could see that as a as a fun title to a sermon that mm-hmm. would be very opaque. It wouldn't be clear what it would mean, and it would merge over the sermon. And I think the sermon would very much easily start in the place you were talking about, linking up the the murmuring, the grumbling. I, I, I just a side note because you know, especially wherever you start the sermon, word choice can really matter because of association and connotation, right? Mm-hmm. And grumbling has a kind of negative valence that makes yeah. it hard to yeah. allow for the empathy to enter in. I wonder what's the best translation choice for homiletical purposes. Well, just quickie, I, I, what do you think? I, I mean, there was complaining, grumbling, um, objecting, protesting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I love murmuring because it's an onomatopoeia, so it kind of, yeah, it has an ambiguity to it, you know. Because that same word that there's the in yeah. the Septuagint, the Greek version of this, that Greek word uh, for murmuring there then oh. appears in John six yeah. at the in the wilderness when. Jesus is in a debate with the the Pharisees over the the bread from heaven, who's the true bread from heaven, and all. So that's a that passage immediately comes to my mind when I think of it. But yeah. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? What what would be the word that would? I don't know. Like, I don't let me talk to your manager. <laughs> I feel yeah. like that's what it is. It's yeah. whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you go with complaining, then you you know maybe you 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 could play around with things like the complaint department. You know, right? Even, yeah, there may be something fun to do with that. Um, and the root word for plaintiff, right, yeah, is the one right. who's presenting that's a case. Right. So it doesn't always have to be negative, yeah, right? right? It right. could be an act of justice mm-hmm. to register a complaint. That's right. I think that gives you more to work with in a way um, than just something like murmuring, you know, which the, the I, I think I do like complaining a bit. Yeah. So, I mean, best thing I'd say to our listeners is just think about it pick a, pick the word that's going to have the connotation you want to, that is both, you know, lays the groundwork for the narrative you want to tell. Right. And, and that a lot of that's contextual, just knowing your people and how they're going to. And your book, let me just pick up real quick here. Uh, you're yeah. hooked on the, the, the wilderness and, and look toward the wilderness, right? I love that. And because I think what you can ultimately do with it is name and describe our tendency. It's it's part of human nature, I think. We we gravitate to the known, uh, yeah. to what we know, the familiar, even if the familiar is Egypt. You know, even yeah. the known and the familiar is slavery and bondage. We, whenever things get dicey and, and uh, when there's destabilization, when there's chaos or uncertainty or fear, or, you know, we're, we're in a new situation, a new place uh, that's not familiar, it's unknown. You know, that, that I think it's very, it's very much a part of human nature to crave what we know and the familiar. And so this look toward the wilderness, in a sense, is 
calling people to do something that's not always natural, yeah. namely to, to, to fix your eyes on the unknown, uh, the place you've yet to go or yet to be that it's, it's not familiar to you, right? Where, you know, the only uh, thing you can do in that place is just trust the Lord. Right? Yeah. That's, I think you can, you can do some fun things with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, a Gary Contra Naturum, right? Mm-hmm. A movement against our nature (laughs) or at least our nature as it has come to be distorted. Yeah. Yeah. And even when we look forward in hope, it's usually a construction of a familiar version, a scene, Mm -hmm. right? It's a, a promised land that's of our own imagination. That's based on having what was good in the past. Right. Whereas to look to, you know, it's one thing to say, look to the future. Right. But how do we construct the future? How do we think of the, how do we imagine it? So to say, look toward the wilderness is to already empty the future of any familiar content. That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. And to rely entirely mm-hmm. uh, on the provision and revelation of God. And as toward, you put an un- toward an unknown and an uncertain future. Right. Mm-hmm. One, one where we don't know what we're going to encounter. And yet they see the most important thing, the glory of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, man. Hey, thanks so much for talking. Thanks for taking the time. That's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Oh, good. Well, I hope to have you back again sometime. And yeah. and thanks, as always, to uh, Todd and Eric for their great production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. And thanks to all you listeners. Thanks to Tom for his uh, donating the theme music. And uh, with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>